What I've discovered is the more I realize how good God has been, the less I complain. Brother Chip Finney, the older I get, the more grateful I seem to become. I wish I had the sense when I was young that I have now. <laughs> when you're young, you're just trying to do it all and get all the recognition and all the accolades you can get. And the older you get, the more you realize some of that stuff really doesn't matter. All that really matters is God's been good to you. <laughs> mm, so good. The old church used to say, so good. So good. There's a word from the Lord. As we transition to the second half of this series that is entitled, A Dialogue with God. I think we have some bookmarks to those of you who need one. The first half of the series consisted of five questions perhaps we would like to ask God, such as, God, where are you? Where were you? What's up with this crazy world? <laughs> Why would you ever love someone like me? And how will it all end? But with every dialogue, it cannot be a one-way street. Amen. So we have questions for God. And God says, I have a few questions for you. Amen. And this is the part of the series in which God gets to ask us the questions that he would like for us to consider. This is the first message in the second part, and the text is found in the book of Genesis, chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, the New King James Version. Genesis, chapter 3, verses 8 and verse number 9. Hear the reading of God's word, beginning at verse 8. And it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden, in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. They hid themselves from God's presence. <laughs> and here is where the subject is found, verse number nine. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said, to Adam, and here is where the subject is, <laughs> lifted directly from the text. Do me a favor, put your hands right here on your heart and say, where are you? <laughs> that is the subject. That is the question God has for us today. Where are you? <laughs> you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Where are you? Listen, one of the fundamental questions that we must all at some point in our lives answer, and all of us, whether you are in church or not, whether you have a, a close or distant relationship with God, whether you have no relationship with him, it is still a question that we must answer. Where do we stand with our relationship with God? If there's no relationship, then the answer is you have none. If there's a somewhat fickle relationship, then the answer is I am sometimey with God. If it is a selfish relationship in which you always ask God for things but never want to give back to him, then the answer is I pimp God. 
Whatever the answer is, <laughs> look at somebody and say, it is something. This is a very personal question <laughs> that no one can answer for us. Your parents can't answer it, young people. <laughs> uh, grandparents, you can't answer it for your children. <laughs> Preachers can't answer it for parishioners. No one can prophesy an answer on you. It is an answer that you must answer for yourself. Where do I stand with my relationship with God? The good thing is that you can't fake it. <laughs> because the person you must answer to already knows the answer. <laughs> I, I attended the University of South Carolina Law School one of the things that they would tell any good lawyer in here is that you don't ever ask a question, <laughs> Mr. Prosecutor uh, Finney, <laughs> that you don't already know the answer. You don't put a witness on the stand and ask them a question that you don't already think you know the answer. So God never asks us anything that he's seeking for us to inform him. <laughs> uh, help me tell somebody that he already knows the answer. In fact, I am also convinced that we can never enjoy real peace or lasting joy without a genuine relationship with God. Not one of these fake relationships. Not one of these shout and dance and clap your hand relationship. I've learned that theatrics is not a, it is not a relationship to act holy. Amen, somebody? You, you don't have a relationship with God because you come to church. <laughs> you don't have a relationship with God because you know scripture. And you can judge other people's on their faults and their shortcomings. But if you want real peace in your life, if you want a lasting joy in your life, you must have a genuine relationship with God. God will give you a peace that surpasses all understanding. In fact, Isaiah the prophet writes in Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3, Isaiah writes these words. He says, and the Lord will keep us in perfect peace when our minds are stayed on him. You can't have a wavering attention span. You, I mean, you can't be pursuing every new thing that comes your way. And think you're going to have peace. That's why I often say that the most unreliable people in the world are antsy people. Because they would jump behind everything. Uh, the people you can rely on are people who are patient and take, they may be slow. <laughs> but they're sure. Amen. Amen. They may take their time. Folk that always give you quick answers, you've got to, you've got to, I, I, I've been like that. You give quick answers and you've got to come back and take it back. I, I'd rather somebody says, let me think about it because I, let, 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 let me see what the consequences are of that. And so you, you can only have perfect peace if your mind is stayed on God. If you know who he is and you know what he has called you to do. And then as it relates to joy, Nehemiah writes these words in chapter 8 of the book of Nehemiah and verse number 10. Nehemiah tells us that the joy of the Lord is our strength. <laughs> not the joy of the church, not the joy of your family, not the joy of a great career. All of those things are great, and they may give you thrills, but you do know there's a difference between a thrill and joy. See, you don't lose your thrill on Blueberry Hill. 
Yeah, not, not, yeah you, you lose the thrill, but not your joy. Uh, joy is what lasts forever. It is what's inside you. Joy is not temporal. Joy is not a flash uh, that makes you feel good for a moment and then you feel depressed again. Joy is everlasting. It, it, it is something that despite the circumstances or your condition, you still give God the praise. Joy is when I'm broke, God is still good. Joy is even if I'm sick, I'll still give God a praise. Joy is not I'll see how I feel, then my praise will dictate how I feel. Yes, people with real joy know how to give God your best praise even on your worst day. But it takes a relationship with him. Both of these scriptures, Isaiah and Nehemiah, suggest to us that in order to have this kind of peace and this kind of joy, that our relationship with God must be genuine. It must be real. You can't fake real joy. You cannot fake real peace. Amen, somebody. And you certainly cannot fake a real relationship with God. Now, there are people that are good. And there are some people that are so slick and they can fool almost everybody at any time. There are some folk that will make you think they love you to death until your back is against the wall. I, I, I wish I had a dollar for every tear that has been cried in my office from somebody say, but pastor, he told me he loved me. She told me he, she loved me. I said, that's why you can't just go on perception. You, you got to have a relationship when they don't have to say it, but you mean it. And all, all of this, I was telling my wife just the other day, all of this public declaration of affection, don't believe the hype. <laughs> I, I've been around long, and God knows, Mother, I've been in church long enough to know that people come with all of this public declaration of affection. I remember as a young boy, just, just our, we had somebody at the church, I forget who it was, and their wife was everything, peach cobbler, apple pie. You're my blueberry dumpling. You, you're the sweetest thing I ever had. And about a year later, I asked my dad, I said, how are they doing? Dad said, oh, they're killing each other right now. I can't stand each other. Been divorced and going to class. I said, what happened to the peach pie and the apple cobbler and all of that stuff? And then somebody told me it was store-bought. Amen. And all of my real cooks know the difference, right? You, you know the difference. And that's why you can't judge all this public Public decoration of affection. Real joy knows it. And God knows when you really love him. God knows when there's a relationship with him. You don't have to be the loudest. And you don't have to clap the loudest or jump and shout all the time. But God says, if you really love me, I, I know when it's genuine. That is what he requires of us. Listen to the text. Look at the text. As we examine what is considered in this text, uh, the first question in the Bible, the first recorded episode of a dialogue between God and humanity is found in this text. Genesis chapter 3, a lot of things in this text is found for the first time. But in this text, Adam and Eve, who were created by God, and chapter 2 says, and given dominion, this is important to know, over every creature on the earth. In fact, they named the creatures on the earth. They enjoyed a special and a unique relationship with God. They communicated with God. There was no intermediary necessary for God to talk to his creation. In fact, the Bible tells us in the cool of the day, they would hear the sound of God walking through the garden. And they would talk with God. They had this special 
unique relationship where God from the dust of the earth created Adam and from the side of Adam, the text says he created Eve. And so he created them together. However, something happened somewhere in the garden. They are folk that don't really know how good they had it. They're, they're, isn't it ironic that sometimes the more blessed some folk are, uh, the more they pursue things that they should not pursue. Where they disappointed God. They did the one thing that God instructed them not to do. For they could not resist the temptation of the enemy, although they knew better. It wasn't that they did not know. They knew better, but yet they could not. How do you live in utopia and still not be satisfied? How do you not have to work for anything and God gives you everything and there wasn't even necessary for rain because the Bible says in Genesis that the dew from heaven sent the water. and God multiplied the seeds and when you were hungry, you had food to eat. You had everything, but they could not resist the temptation of touching that which had been forbidden. We call it in philosophy the forbidden fruit uh, syndrome. We, they, they had everything but one tree. And they could not resist the temptation. And as a result of their disobedience to the instructions of God, as a result of their a lack of confidence in what God said to them, they found themselves in an unusual position. <laughs> Chapter 3 of the book of Genesis, uh, man finds himself in an unusual position. For the first time, verse number 7 tells us, they realize just how fragile and how vulnerable they were without the presence of God. For verse 7 says, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. For the, they had been naked all the time. But now they were realizing something. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves a covering. Uh, now for the first time, Adam and Eve realized that there's something different in our lives when the presence of God is not there. When we let God down, nothing will be the same. You can toss and turn all night long. You can seek all kinds of advice. Uh, but until you get it right with God, and, 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 and until you and God are on the same page, your life will never be what it should be. Are there any witnesses in here to know that money and job and relationships with other people could not satisfy? You can change jobs. You can change relationships, change churches, change careers, do everything you want. But at the end of the day, you are still there. That relationship does not exist. Listen, in verse 8 of the text, we're told that they hid from the Lord among the trees. And they were not only afraid, but they were embarrassed and not ashamed. If you go back and read the end of chapter 2, I think the last verse in chapter 2 said they were not ashamed. That was when they had a relationship with God. Here's what it says. They were naked and not ashamed. In other words, nothing had changed in their lives, but they were not ashamed. Why? Because they had the presence of God. When you get so full of yourself that you don't need God anymore, when you get so smart that you don't need God anymore, when God takes his hands off you, it exposes all of your vulnerabilities. Amen. It exposes all of your weaknesses and the things you 
used to not worry about now got you tossing and turning at night because you don't have that peace that surpasses all understanding. You need a relationship with God whereas you, Adam and Eve, were the same that they had been physically before. They had always been naked and not ashamed. But when God leaves, God exposes all of your weaknesses. I want to talk to some folk who think that you can make it without God or you can just part-time give God praise and you can have a part-time relationship with God. It does not work like that. So here they are, disobeyed God. Here they are in the garden. Things are falling apart and for the first time their eyes were open and they realized their condition and that is basically we have nothing without God. <laughs> and verse number nine, God then shows up and the Bible says he walks through the garden and then the Lord called out Adam. I preached this, Minister Jeff Scott, to the men before uh, when it was just all men's service. God called out Adam. I don't know why. I don't make up the scriptures. I read it as it is. He didn't call Adam and Eve. He said, Adam. He called out. Why? I can suggest perhaps God said, because Adam, you were the first of creation. I made you from the dust of the earth. I gave you the initial responsibility. God called, can I speak to every man and every brother in here right now? I am still convinced if you get your act together, family will be together. And I'm not chauvinistic. I believe uh, in all equal rights. But I believe that there are some responsibilities that comes when you call yourself the head. It has to be more than a title. What disturbs me more than anything else is when slack, no good folk come in my face and say, Pastor, they need to treat me in my house like I'm the head. I say, well, do you act like it? Folk treat you like you act it treat you as you behave. Come on, somebody. It's more than just a title. It comes with a responsibility. Adam, you have more than just the distinction of being the first man. I'm going to preach about this next week. No court ought to make you pay child support. I just thought I'd throw that in free. Y'all excuse me. I just don't... I, nobody ought to make a man do what he has a responsibility to do. Love ought to make you do it. Why? Because it's your responsibility to do it. Just take that for what it's worth. Amen, somebody. Don't sit up here in church like you all of that and you don't even take care of what God has given you. The devil is a liar. And one day God's going to cut the light on in your closet and you're going to be exposed and ashamed and embarrassed. You can't preach to us if you don't take care of your family. You don't need to be taking up nobody's offering. If you don't pay your own light bill, the children that you help bring into this, oh, I'm in trouble now. Nah, I just, General, you may have to get me a job at Fort Jackson somewhere, okay? Don't call yourself a deacon or a preacher or anything else. Take care of what God gave you. God's calling you. Adam, where are you, man? That was the question. God asked, where are you, Adam? Uh, note, God did not ask Adam what he had done. Note, God did not ask Adam, why did you do it? Uh, God already knew the answer, but he asked Adam the question that he wanted to see if Adam had sense enough to understand his condition and his situation. I don't need you to tell me what you did. I don't need to know how and why you did it. But just tell me, Adam, where do you stand with me? Where are you? What is your relationship with me. Uh, God already knew where Adam stood. 
God just wanted to know if Adam was man enough to admit it himself. Preach, Pastor Jackson. God already knows your condition. When God asks you, man, where do you stand with me? He's not asking you that so you can inform him of something. God says, I already know everything I need to know about you. I know your thoughts from afar off. I know what you did last year, 10 years ago. I know what you hope you would have done if you had somebody to do it with. I know all kind of things about you. But here is my question for you this morning. Where are you? Where do you stand with me? That's what I want to know, Adam. Do you still consider yourself part of the union that I created when I made you from the dust of the ground? Adam, you're hiding. And Adam, in this text, we not only have the first question, we have the first dialogue, but we have the first excuse of humanity. Adam did what mankind has been doing ever since. Not to take responsibility, but to always blame somebody else. Because Adam said to the Lord, I think it was in verse 12, Lord, I was all right, but it was that woman that you gave me. I want to remind you, I didn't ask for no woman. I was happy by myself. But you gave her to me. And the reason I messed up is because that woman, he threw Eve under the bus. Some of my sisters are shaking their head and say, we're still being thrown under the bus. Oh, brother, I'm not going to let you all off easy women, okay? Adam threw Eve under the bus. Lord, I'm all right, but you gave her to me. And then God turned to Eve and said, what's your story? And Eve said, it was that serpent. That serpent came and tricked us. She must have forgot chapter 2 when she and Adam had dominion over every living creature. Even the serpent's name came from Adam because Adam named everything. He had power to look the serpent in the eyes and say, shut up and get back to where you belong. Look at somebody and say, exercise your authority. Whew. God says, whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever you loose on earth shall be, don't be saying that devil made me do it. Folk made me, no, you've got the authority. You greater is what is in you than what is against you. You've got the power to plead the blood of Jesus and declare the name of the Lord is a strong tower. How many of you ever had your back as against the wall and you call on the name of the Lord? Look at somebody and say, you've got the authority. You have the power. There is no excuse. The devil will always be who he is. The enemy will always come and do what the enemy does. But you've got to know that God has given you something greater than every force that is against you. The Bible said the enemy comes in one way and flees seven different ways. Look at somebody say, you have the power. You have the authority. Where are you, Adam? I'm not sure how history would have handled this. But let me use Dr. Shaw Washington, my theological imagination, and say, what if Adam in the garden would have said, that's it, Lord, I mess up. Uh, it's me, oh Lord. It's not Eve's fault. It's not the serpent's fault. I messed up. I need your forgiveness. Then perhaps we would not have had to wait on generations through Matthew to come and bring forth Jesus. Maybe God would have offered redemption right there. I'm not sure. But what I do know is that excuses don't work. Can I preach to you this morning? Please tell somebody your excuses don't work. Save your excuses. God asks you, why don't you worship the way? Well, save your excuses. I would church folk act funny. They've always act funny. That's no excuse. Why aren't you where you ought to be? Where are you, Adam? Adam gave up the one thing 
that he could not afford to lose. That unique relationship with God. I want to end by sharing three things and we will finish this on Tuesday night. How was the enemy able to do this? How was the enemy through a serpent able to do this? Three possible reasons. Number one, the enemy was able to persuade them to doubt God's word. When the enemy is able to persuade you to doubt what God says, you are on your way to destruction. The enemy said to Eve in verse 4, and the Bible says Adam was standing right there with her, you will not certainly die. Uh, whenever the enemy contradicts God's word, you ought to checkmate the enemy. Amen. The enemy was able to persuade them to doubt God's word. Second thing is that the enemy was able to convince them that they were, listen to this, don't miss this, they were missing out on something. See, a lot of our problems come when we want to be more than what God has called us to be. Adam and Eve were not content being the head of the garden and having dominion over everything else. But the moment the serpent said, if you do this, you will be like God. When the enemy gets in your ear and tells you you can be something that God hasn't called you to be, that's when you know the enemy has your attention. But you've got to be strong enough to be content with who you are and what God has called you to be. If God wants you to be something, God knows how to make you what he wants you to be. Who am I preaching to? Don't let the devil persuade you to think of yourself more highly than what you ought to. I tell folk all the time, be careful how you want to be where other folk are. Because you don't know the struggles or the heartaches that comes with all of that. Every time a young preacher look at me and say, I want a church like Bible way, I say, I'm going to pray for you that the God gives you better sense than that. Because the last thing you want it's something when you got 30 air-conditioned units and 10 of them go out at the same time and you got to get on your knees and say, help me, Jesus. Sometimes we ought to be content with whatever God has called us to be. Come on, somebody. I just need, I just need to make sure I'm in the right place. Anybody know you are who God says you are and you will be whatever God intends for you to be? God destined for you to be the commander at Fort Jackson, all the way from Ellery, South Carolina, matriculated through South Carolina State. God did it. Principal Green, God intended for you to be the principal at hand, middle school. God did it. Now, to those of you who are not the commander and not the principal, don't you hate on those who are. God's got something else with your name on it. You don't have to be what somebody else is to follow what God has called. Oh, help me somebody. What God has called you to be. Anybody grateful for who you are and what God has called you to be? I'm almost done. And here's the third and the final one. Ooh, the enemy was able to persuade them to focus on what was pleasing to their eyes and what was satisfying to their flesh while losing focus on what they already had, a special relationship with God. They catered to the flesh <laughs> and neglected to realize I already have something better than they cater to what was pleasing to the eyes and satisfying to the flesh. So many people have found themselves on the outside of their relationship with God simply because they chase something that looked good. Everything that's good to you is not good for you. Am I right about it? And here's the deal. Because of that, 
they forfeited their relationship with God. And God punished them. And God said to Eve, through pain you shall bear children. And God said to Adam, from the brow of the sweat from your brow shall you toil the land. And you were eating free. Now you've got to earn it for yourself. But I've got news for the serpent. <laughs> God put in place prophetically a payback for the enemy. God said to the serpent, you may have bruised the heel of humanity, but the seed of a woman will one day come and bruise your head. And that seed's name is Jesus. Somebody ought to give God a hand of praise. Stand to your feet all over this place and give God a hand of praise. And so the question today is where are you? We had an awesome service this morning. The altar was full of transparent, genuine people. At the end of the service, a young man came down at 8 o'clock, tears in his face. He grabbed me at the altar, and he says, Pastor Jackson, I want to be in a better place with God. <laughs> the brothers gathered around him and prayed for him. That's what God wants. God wants genuine, transparent people who don't have to put on a show for anybody else. But where are you with God? Where do you stand with God? Perhaps your insomnia and sleeplessness is a result of you not trusting that God has this and that things are going to be all right. Israel in New Breed wrote this wonderful song that says, you're the light of the world. You step down in darkness. Open my eyes to let me see. <laughs> Beauty that made this heart adore you. <laughs> Hope of a life spent with you. Now here's the challenge. Ooh. Everyone in here that wants to have a better relationship with God, if you can leave your seat and make your way down these aisles and stand at this altar, none of us are perfect. I told the church this morning, if I wasn't on this pulpit with this mic, I would have been the first in line. Ooh. The song that Israel goes on to sing says, Here I am, Lord, to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you are my God. God, you are altogether lovely. You are altogether worthy. You are all together. Thank you. Thank you for those that are coming right now. God, you're wonderful to me. Ooh. I'll never know how much it costs to see my sins upon that cross. Ooh. Here I am. Ooh. Somebody lift those hands and say, here I am. I'm not perfect, Lord. I I mess up sometimes and I've fallen short so many times. That's right. Young people are coming from the balcony and others are coming right now. Come stand right now. This is worship time. This is not, we don't judge you. Don't let anybody else judge you. Amen. Come stand right in there. Somebody else, I don't know your situation, but I sense in my spirit someone you want so badly to make your way to this altar and tell God, here I am. 
with all your faults and all your frailties and all your weaknesses. Come on. Come on. Somebody else make your way. That's where I am. Ooh. That's right. Look at God. That's right, young man. That's right. Others are coming. See, that's right, brother. That's right. Look at God. That's right. So you are. Come on and lift those hands. God told me we don't need to jump and shout of this message. God speaking to your heart. Here I am. Somebody just wave those hands in the air. That's right. Don't let anybody judge you based on what you know you need in your life. God is speaking to you right now. Everybody just wave those hands. short but here I am Lord I've fallen short but here I am here I am everybody lift your voices God can say upon Come on, everybody lift up Everybody, put your arms around somebody. Put your arms, everybody. We're in this together. Upon didn't handle it right but thank God for David <laughs> David showed Adam how to handle when your transgressions are exposed <laughs> so David writes in Psalms 51 against you Lord and you only have I done this <laughs> 
Uh, so create in me a clean heart and renew in me a right spirit. David did not blame anyone. Did not blame Bathsheba. Did not blame his wife. But David said, I messed up. I fell short. So here I am, Lord. How many of you in your times have got to just be honest with yourself and say, it's, it's not anybody else's fault. It's, but here's the good news. God has already forgiven you. God has already made a way of redemption for you. God says, I knew from the beginning that you could not do what was asked of you. So I keep making a way over and over and over again. These folk in this place this morning are not perfect. You may see a whole lot of folk in here, but none of us are perfect. Everyone in here have made mistakes and are making mistakes. But here we are. <laughs> here we are, Lord. Question is, where are you? My answer to God, I'm on my knees. <laughs> begging you for forgiveness. I am on my knees praising you. I'm lifting my hands to give you the glory. Close those eyes, somebody. Listen to this challenge. After this prayer, I'll be at this altar. And if there's someone in here today that bold enough to say, here I am, Lord. I just want to be better. I want to commit to something greater than myself. See, it cannot all be about you. Coming to church is not a relationship, just like living in the garden was not a relationship. Adam and Eve, Elder Franklin didn't have a relationship with God because they lived in a garden. They had a relationship with God because they obeyed his word. And God says, you've made one step. Now the question is, are you ready to make the next step? With all your faults, all of your weaknesses, here I am, Lord. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you so much. for. I thank you for this dialogue with you. I thank you for reminding us that this cannot just be questions we have of you. We must be prepared when you have questions of us. Such as, where do you stand with your relationship with me? It's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. My faults are not my parents' fault. My issues are not the church's fault. But it's me, Lord. I'm frail. I'm fragile. I'm weak. I am human. Subject to mess up over and over and over again <laughs> but here we are Lord standing in the need of redemption and saying thank you thank you for being such an awesome God thank you for looking beyond my shortcomings and still offering me redemption <laughs> we say thank you we give you the praise we give you the honor and we give you the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Ooh. Jesus' name we pray. And those that know that God is such an awesome, forgiving God, say amen. Amen. Put your arms around somebody and say, God's calling you. God's calling you. Come on, if you're here this morning and you want to commit to something, greater than yourself come on quiet take it up stand right here with me if you want to join the church or if you just want to commit to the kingdom of God thank you, thank you young lady others are coming thank you young lady that's right you don't have to be perfect look at God all of thank you baby
God's calling you all together. Somebody else is coming right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God is calling. Others are coming. Come on. God's calling. Here I am, Lord. Lord, I thank you so much. Don't let the enemy deceive you. All of us have been where you are. All of us have had issues in our life. But God gave us another chance. Somebody, come on. Make that commitment. Make that commitment. Make it. Amen. Look at God. Thank you, young lady. about God. This is not about us. Is there anyone else? Come on. We'll wait right here. God God is calling you right now. Wherever you are, God is calling you. Amen. Give God a hand of praise as we give God a hand. We ought to celebrate. It took courage for you all to come up here. It it took courage to come up here. Come on, everybody. Find somebody. Go cross the aisles and find somebody. Put your arms around them again. Come on, everybody. How I it to see my sins upon the cross. I'll never know how much it costs to see my Awesome word, what an awesome word.